The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back to the final game narrative podcast of the 2020-2021 NFL Buffalo Bills season. It's not the way that... Everybody would have preferred to end the season because we all would have preferred to end the season with a Super Bowl victory, but that's not how it went down. And so we are going to talk about the narratives coming out of this game and kind of not just put a bow on this particular game, but put a bow on the season. Tomorrow we will do almighty takes. And I have had some people ask me what we're going to do with almighty takes in the off season. Here's what I will tell you. Continue to email me. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com with your almighty takes. I do not anticipate we will do it every single week, but I do have specific times plotted out where if I'm not able to get to them, I will ask for very specific almighty takes on at least three occasions this off season. I will ask for almighty takes In regards to free agency, almighty takes in regards to the draft, and almighty takes in regards to training camp. Those three things are guaranteed to happen. I probably shouldn't say guaranteed because a lot can happen between now and then. Who knows? I might not even be podcasting at that point. But that's the plan anyway. So continue to email me. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com. When I feel like I have a particularly good one or enough of them to warrant a podcast, then I will try to fit it in this off season. We also have other plans for this off season. 
I would very much like to do a few live events where I am streaming on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all those things simultaneously. And I would like to do some live events with my listeners. So if you have not done so already, please, please go to the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel and make sure you are subscribed because I want to make sure I do that if there's going to be enough people to make it worth it. You know, if there's 20 people on the live stream, that might be worth it. But if there's 200, it'd probably be a lot better. So make sure you do those things. That way you are prepared for when those times come this off season so we can do some cool things together, you and me. So let's talk about this Chiefs game now that the housekeeping stuff is out of the way. The biggest narrative to come out of the game against the Chiefs was Sean McDermott in field goals. I would have preferred he go for it in both occasions that are particularly questionable. I would have absolutely preferred that. He later defended the decision on one occasion and said he probably would have done the other one differently. And what he said was, it was a morale decision. And I think that's interesting because I have mentioned to you before that I do acknowledge the emotional and mental side of football. However, I think it's interesting he said morale. If you go for it and you don't get it, are you unable to build the morale back up? Will it cause irreparable damage to your team in the middle of the game? Well, that's not a very good sign. Also, isn't winning the best way to get morale? Now, it's important to note that had the Bills gone for it on both occasions and scored touchdowns, the final score would have been 38 to 23. So that is not the main reason why the Bills lost. It's a popular reason why the Bills lost, but there was a lot of failure to go around. A lot of it. And I do think that championship experience mattered in this game. I mentioned on the Buff Hub with Steve Vega, which is a Buffalo Rumblings podcast that drops on Saturdays, that this was the third AFC championship for that Kansas City regime and the first for this Buffalo Bills regime. And that would matter. And it did matter. But Sean McDermott didn't do the Bills any favors. I think going for it on both occasions would have been better. So I disagree with Sean McDermott, who has historically this year shown to not be an overly conservative coach. He has been aggressive in mindset, passing on first downs, going for it. That has not been the case in AFC Championship games thus far that Sean McDermott has coached, of which there have been one. So I was disappointed in that. And we can be disappointed in that while simultaneously recognizing that that was not the lone cause of winning and losing a game. It is not the main reason, the overwhelming majority, or the only reason why the Buffalo Bills lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. I do think it matters, but it's not the only thing. Now, going for two, when going for one makes it 16 points, is fine. It's absolutely fine by me. Some people and the announcers had some words to say 
with Sean McDermott about going for two when going for one would have made it 16. You're going to need to get multiple two-point conversions anyway. You might as well have that information sooner rather than later. And this is something that consistently people get wrong about the analytics side of two-point conversions. And I always try and use this metaphor, so I'm going to try and say it again. You go to the drive-thru. You pick up your food. You have the option of checking your food to make sure that it's correct in the bag. I always tell my wife when we go through the drive-thru, she'll open the bag and I'll go, two sandwiches, two fries. Or two sandwiches, fry, jalapeno popper. Or whatever it is that she's supposed to see. You have the option of checking your food in the drive-thru real fast before you drive away. Or you can pull up a little bit and check it there. Or you could check it when you get home. You can absolutely wait and check it when you get home. That's absolutely an option at your disposal. You have to look at it sometime because you're going to consume it. Would you rather have that information to know whether or not it was a mistake early or late? Either way, you will accumulate the information. Either way, the information needs to be accumulated or else what was the point of buying the sandwich or the fries or the chicken? You are going to acquire the information of was my order correct at some point? Why not have it earlier rather than later? So if you know you're going to need multiple two-point conversions and time is running short, I have no problem with you taking that two-point conversion earlier rather than later. Because then you can build the rest of your game plan for the rest of the game based on that information, winning or losing. So I have no issue at all with him going for two at that time when going for one would have made it 16. You've got 23 points, ladies and gentlemen. You go for one, you got seven, you still need 16. Still need two more two-point conversions. So if you get those 16 at the beginning and then go for one on the third touchdown, or if you get the 16 at the back half, it doesn't really matter. You're just acquiring the information sooner rather than later. You are acquiring the, okay, what do I do now? Earlier rather than later. So I have zero issue with going for two. That was one of the other coaching decisions that was discussed. Now, I will say that the defense was a part of this as well from a narrative standpoint. Oh, Bruce, defense playing soft zone. Why didn't we play man? The Bills actually played a fair amount of man more than you think. They just got absolutely burned. So my discussion around the defensive game plan for this particular game is not the fact that schematically there were horrible weaknesses. It's the fact that when you don't have horses on the defensive side of the ball, it limits your options. So I have said before about Josh Allen that traits give you options. That is not a quarterback-specific phrase. The phrase traits give you options applies to all of the athletes on the football field. The more things you can do as a player, the more options your coaches have. And when you have 
CB2, who is no matter who rolls out there, a 4'6"-ish athlete, you're going to have some issues. You can't constantly roll out in man coverage. When you have struggles with athletes, you can't go toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs when they've got Tyreek Hill and you don't have the equivalent Tyreek Hill on the defensive side of the ball. So when they go man and they get burned, do you feel better now? Cause you think at least you're trying like I have no issue with the amount of zone that the Buffalo bills played because they don't have the horses. So the takeaway isn't you played too much zone. The takeaway should be, why did you have to play too much zone? Why are you required as a defense to play so much Joan. Why do you not have the ability to play more man? And then from there, the next question is, is it because you don't have the horses? The answer is yes, you don't have the horses. Then the next question after that is, are you capable of acquiring the horses? And the answer to that's maybe. Maybe you're capable of acquiring the horses. Because what you have is you have one of the fastest athletes on the planet with Tyreek Hill. They don't make corners who can run with Tyreek Hill. Like that. So the better question for this offseason is do you have the ability to acquire a horse that will allow you to defend the Chiefs better? What if it's not covering Tyreek Hill one-on-one? What if it's covering Travis Kelsey one-on-one? Who again is going to go down as a Hall of Fame tight end one of the best to ever play the position. But there was a reason why the Buffalo Bills were attached and connected to a lot of big nickel candidates last offseason. You may recall I was not overly high on Kyle Duggar, but I was high on Jeremy Chin. The Bills went through the draft, did not pick up that Buffalo nickel, that big nickel player that they really desired. There's another crack at it this particular offseason. So, knowing that, what did you want them to do differently? From a scheme standpoint, as far as man versus zone, now we can get at some nitty gritties, but it's not really the appropriate medium to do that. But if anybody out there has significant issues with the amount of zone, when you go to man and you get burned, does, does that make you feel better because at least they did something different? This Buffalo defense doesn't have the athletes in coverage, specifically nickel and CB2, to be able to match up. In addition, Tremaine Edmonds played a bad game. So when you have things like this happen, and you have three major players in your coverage, Edmonds didn't play well, and Taron Johnson and Levi Wallace, Josh Norman, are not great athletes. When you have things like this occur, the question isn't, why didn't you run more man? It's, why couldn't you run more man? And I was pounding the table for two additional corners last offseason. If you remember correctly, in the podcast that I did with Joe Marino immediately following the 2020 NFL Draft, the What We Would Have Done podcast which was one of my favorite podcasts last year because what it does is it stamps my opinion in stone. In that draft, I had the Bills taking 
not one, but two corners who were better athletes. So you know I'm going to pound the table because I have been pounding the table. Now, Sean McDermott does not agree with me. I'm telling you right now that I would be very, very, very shocked if the Buffalo Bills took a corner high in the 2021 NFL draft. I will be rooting for it. I will be preaching it, and they will probably ignore me. That's just the way Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott typically do things. But this is the reason why. The reason why they can't run more man is because they don't have the horses to do it. And so every single time leading up to the draft, you see a defensive back who's not a great athlete. And somebody comes in and says, well, it doesn't matter. We run a zone defense. It does matter. Number one, zone is a method of acquiring human beings. That doesn't mean you don't have to be a good athlete anymore. Zone is simply a method of acquiring targets. It's a target acquisition tool. Man coverage is also a target acquisition tool. I get kind of fired up when people say, well, he's a 4-6-2 corner. He's long. Let's give him to a zone team. Because what you're doing is you are limiting your options as a defensive coordinator because you're limiting your traits. That's what you've done. And so my big discussion on the defensive scheme, which was the other significant narrative coming out of the game against the Chiefs, is let's not get upset because they didn't run more man. Let's start to wonder why they couldn't run more man. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to talk about some plurality pie. And we're going to talk about what's coming up for this podcast. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about Sean McDermott kicking field goals. We talked about defensive scheming. Now let's talk about the running game. Let's talk about the discussion that has started to creep into the minds of Buffalo Bills fans all over Twitter, specifically since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott both came out and said they want to run the ball more effectively in 2021. That is a goal. Now, it should be noted, they did not say they wanted to run the ball more often. That's very important. Before you get too far out of whack, 
and you are worried that we're going to become a run-first team, we're not going to. I would be very, very, very shocked if that ever happened. You don't trade a one for Stephon Diggs, trade up for a franchise quarterback, sign two free agent receivers, constantly say it's a passing league and a quarterback-driven league, and then all of a sudden, because you weren't able to run as effectively as you wanted to for a couple games in a season, now it doesn't work. Running the ball effectively could take a lot of different forms. It could mean that Brian Dable gets in the lab this offseason and cooks up some different play designs. It could mean they want to get better run blockers on the offensive line because there's going to be turnover on the offensive line in high likelihood this offseason. You have Cody Ford coming back. John Feliciano and Daryl Williams are both free agents. And Mitch Morse has a fairly decent cap number and may or may not have been in the best graces of the general manager and coach coming off his concussion. There was a week of kind of weirdness about Mitch Morse. Might be nothing, might be something. So the offensive line could look different as well. I have said before on this podcast this year that I agree that running the ball effectively is good. There are times when you need to run the ball, and when that happens, you want it to be done effectively. I have never been a proponent of drafting a running back in the first round. I'm still not. So get ready for that this offseason because there's a chance I could change my mind for sure. But there would have to be a presentation of data that would alter my opinion in order to do it. So be prepared for that this offseason because I do think there are other things that can be done that are better value propositions and more effective resource allocation than spending a first-round pick on Travis Etienne and Najee Harris. Now, it should be very important that you can pick someone, have them be a good player, and have it not be best value. If the Bills were to take Najee Harris or Travis Etienne at 30th overall, and they turn into a good player, good. Good players are better than bad players. It still wasn't appropriate value, in my opinion. And I did an entire podcast last offseason on why that is. I wrote an entire article on it. It's on Buffalo Rumblings. So for me, there has to be a recognition that you can get a good player and still not have it be the best value. So that's important as we talk about this. Because what's going to happen is if the Bills end up drafting a running back at 30th overall, people will tweet at me. And they'll be like, ha got that. I'll bet you're really upset, aren't you? No, I'm not really upset. I hope he ends up being a good player if that's what happens. I think it was a bad value proposition. If you draft a long snapper in the fourth round, and that guy ends up being a great long snapper, it doesn't matter. It still wasn't appropriate value. When the Jets traded Jamal Adams to the Seahawks and the Seahawks gave two first-round picks, I said on Twitter, the Seahawks got robbed. And someone came into my mention and said, what are you talking about? They got to they start. It doesn't matter. Two first-round picks for a safety is always bad value. It doesn't matter who the safety is. The long snapper example and the Jamal Adams example are exactly the same way I feel about running backs in the first round. And we're going to go over that 
I'm sure, multiple times this offseason. But here's what else we're going to go over this offseason. The plan is tomorrow we're going to do Almighty Takes, but then we're going to start a podcast series called Where Do We Go From Here? Lots of takeaways. None of them are wrong. People might just have different priorities when it comes to where we go from here. But I'm going to give you my opinion on where the Bills go from here. Where do we go from here is the name of the series. And we're going to take this by positions. What I think should be done at each one of these positions in theory. Not the who and the how, but in general. So that's what's coming up. But we are going to finish today with the plurality pie. And there's a lot. And do not think that that's an accident. This was not a player failure against the Kansas City Chiefs. It was not a unit failure. It was a complete team failure. And this backs it up. Sean McDermott, 16%. Field goals were a problem. For sure. Absolutely. Also, his fingers are all over the defensive personnel choices, which bleeds into the second person, Brandon Bean, 15%. The defensive line construction, the most expensive defensive line in football, has now multiple cap casualty possibilities on it for next year. Brandon Bean went all in on the defensive line this year. He kept Trent Murphy. He signed Vernon Butler. Vernon Butler, who had the B word, bust, being messed around with his name, signed Vernon Butler to a good contract, signed Mario Addison. And I would say that overall, the unit was okay this year. It was okay. But in big moments, they weren't able to get the domination that they needed from the highest paid defensive line in football. It wasn't a bad defensive line. Please don't misunderstand. It just wasn't good enough. CB2 splits evenly between Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. They elected to bring in Josh Norman, who was a non-factor essentially for the Buffalo Bills this year. They elected to bring back Levi Wallace and have him play major, major snaps at CB2. They elected to only invest a seventh round pick in a corner. So the CB2 lacking the athleticism, which is part of the reason you can't run enough man coverage, that goes between McDermott and Bean. They made that call. Defensive line as a whole, 11%. Offensive line as a whole, 9%. Josh Allen, 8%. Yeah, Josh Allen was a little shaky. Absolutely he was. Now, there was a reason he was a little shaky. It's because the interior offensive line was getting eaten alive by Chris Jones. But Josh Allen was a little bit shaky. He was missing some things he doesn't normally miss. He was bailing from clean pockets when he shouldn't have. He was a little bit shaky. Nothing major. I certainly don't come away from that game with like markedly less confidence about Josh Allen. It was a shaky game for sure. Brian Dable, 12%. I actually would have liked to have seen more transition to quarterback runs. If the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be as physical and bracketing with their man coverage as they were, I would have liked to have seen more in the quarterback run game to try and get that extra blocker 
and spread them out. I understand that they were using some spies from defensive tackles, but I trust Josh Allen in a one-on-one situation against a defensive tackle to be able to run away from him. So I would have liked to have seen some better designs to be able to shake those types of coverage. Some bunch formations would have been helpful, I think, to try and break people free from that stiff man coverage. Brian Dable apologized to his wide receivers after the game. I think he knows that he could have schemed up a better game, but he gets 12%. Tremaine Edmonds gets 8%. Now, he does not suck at football. One of the things I had to defend Tremaine Edmonds against earlier this year was he sucks at football. No, he doesn't suck at football. There's basically nobody in the NFL who sucks at football. And the question for Tremaine Edmonds isn't does he suck at football, it's do you give him a contract? Do you give him a fifth-year option, which we're going to talk about? And do you give him a big contract extension? So when you are building a team, you have to decide how good a player has to be before you're willing to give them a second contract coming off of a rookie deal. And my general opinion is when it comes to that, there's a very simple flow chart. Question number one, are they a running back? If so, the answer is no. No second contracts to running backs, ever. If the answer to are they a running back is no, then the question is, are they very good at their position? Are they very good at their position? Right now, I would not say Tremaine Edmonds is very good at his position. So right now, I'm zero interest in signing Tremaine Edmonds to a big middle linebacker contract. I don't. He has not taken the progression that we hoped he would. So the first question is, are you a running back? If no, the next question is, are you very good at your position? Not okay. Not passable. I don't want to sign passable or okay players to second contracts. Why? Because those contracts, even if they're passable level contracts, will still be much higher in value than the equivalent draft pick necessary to replace that level of play. If you only re-sign very good players, you're going to be okay. If you start re-signing okay players and extending all right players, then you should be able to draft an all right player. Well, Bruce, it's only $4 million a year for three years. Great. That's still way higher than I would pay to a middle round rookie who I can use to replace an okay player. It's how much do I want my okay players to make? How much do I want my very good players to make? How much do I want my bad players to make? And the more out of whack that gets, the quicker your cap gets in trouble. And yes, the cap is a real thing. I'm not here for your cap is fake conversations. So that's my theory on Tremaine Edmonds. And we're going to talk about that this offseason too. John Brown gets 6%. John Brown still quite not right. And he did kind of end the Bills hopes by dropping the pass into the arms of a Kansas City Chiefs defender. It was a huge play. And we've established that one huge play is enough to get you on this. So Sean McDermott 
16%, Brandy Bean, 15%, Brian Dable, 12%, defensive line, 11%, offensive line, 9%, Josh Allen, 8%, Tremaine Edmonds, 8%, John Brown, 16, 6%, other 15%. That's a lot of pie to be divvied out because it wasn't a player failure. It wasn't a unit failure. It was a team failure. But this season was not a failure. Not for this team, not for us, not for me here at this podcast. AFC Championship game. If I would have told you that coming into the year, you would have been okay. Your expectations changed when the Bills started winning. And that's okay. But we still need to recognize that this was a good season. And the number one thing that made it a good season is it gave the team hope because of Josh Allen's progression. If this team gets to the exact same place via a different method, we feel differently about this year. If this team goes to the AFC Championship game because their defense became crazy elite and Josh Allen didn't take a step forward, the results may have been the same as far as wins and losses, but I don't feel as good moving forward. Why? Because how and why you win is more predictive than the fact that you won. And if you win because you have an elite quarterback who's playing at a really high level, that gives you not just a win now, it gives you the hope and promise of the probability of future wins. And that's why, in a large part, this season was a success. And so tomorrow we're going to come back and we're going to do Almighty Takes. And it's going to be fantastic. And until then... I leave you with this. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumbles.